Well, I wish policymakers actually not just regulated AI, but used AI in their daily work. But I, I guess the politicians and policymakers could be scared of this because maybe it would replace them, or an AI could reveal that maybe 90% of regulation is not really useful. So maybe the politicians and policymakers are also scared about job safety when it comes to AI. Hello and welcome back to the second part of my talk with artificial intelligence expert, Professor Dr. Patrick Klauner, CEO of Skyrocket AI. Let's jump right back into our intriguing exploration of the world of tomorrow. Welcome back, Patrick. Hi, I'm happy to be back. In which areas of your life are you personally currently using AI? Well, I use ChatGPT all the time. I use it even to, you know, generate drafts of publications. Not that I will ultimately generate the whole publication, but it can help me to make recommendations, generate structures, help me to turn tricky parts into sentences. So I use ChatGPT all the time. But all of us use AI every day, like in a spam filter on our phone for voice recognition, obviously. I use that too, but I also use AI to generate source code. Um, so part of the work of a software developer can also be done by an AI. Not all of it, but some of it. What AI inventions are you looking forward to seeing the market in the near future? Well, I'm desperately waiting for more applications in healthcare, um, like personalized truck development, better analysis of your um, health and diseases. I think we're just scratching the surface of what's actually possible. And I'm sure uh, we'll see many great innovations in the coming years. Uh, hopefully, we also see great applications in robotics uh, because there's a lack of talent in Europe. So maybe we can have robots, you know, building your roof or cleaning your bathroom at home. I think all of that would be great. Excellent. I mean, I just looking through the news and there's been two new products out there on the market. One was just recently announced uh, on the CES, the uh, Rabbit telephone mobile AI devices. I don't know if you've heard of that, that you have a small telephone just being um, directed and command with your voice. And then we have the Humane AI pin. Do you know those two products? I know about them, but I have not used them or read in detail about them. So I'm unable to give a qualified answer here. Excellent. So we're looking as soon as they are delivered. They should be shipped out in the near future. So more and more products are obviously coming to AI-related uh, gadgets. Yes, um, and I just saw a video of a new Samsung phone, which you know heavily uses AI. And I think uh, that's also great uh, with a lot of new features. So I'm just very excited also about this AI pin, how it works. But it's awfully difficult for me to talk about something I haven't used yet. But once it's out, I'll be happy to use it. Do you think um, that in robotics, Europe is playing a big role? Or where do you expect the first uh, consumer robots to come from? I mean, obviously, we do have that cleaning machine robots, which I wouldn't call a robot. But uh, I think one who is literally a human being lookalike. What do you think where those technology comes from? Well, um, I hope this will be coming in the foreseeable future, like in healthcare, in home care. I think this could be of great advantage 
but also to address the enormous demographic change where we have such a huge lack of talent. Uh, maybe there we can have uh, the robots as well. I'm very excited, but uh, I also understand some people would be scared about this if they have a robot next to them that looks like them. Uh, so it will probably, there will be some resistance to it. What do you think from the time from right now? Is it another two years, three years? What do you think? I think much more than two or three years. I mean, uh, if you look at various companies working on this, having such robots, I think, is an awfully difficult task. I'm not sure when it will happen. Probably it will happen step by step in the coming years. It's just very hard to make a reasonable prediction. We'll just see. I mean, you served as an advisor of different political levels, and uh, I know we've been talking about that on the first episode already, political ups and downs. Um, what do you see the greatest challenge in integrating AI on a big scale into public policy and regulation, or do you think like there's no other way of doing so, and the uh, discussion is just over-discussed because it's already there, literally, so... Well, I wish uh, policymakers actually not just regulated AI, but used AI in their daily work. But I, I guess the politicians and policymakers could be scared of this because maybe it would replace them or an AI could reveal that maybe 90% of regulation is not really useful. So maybe the politicians and policymakers are also scared about job safety when it comes to AI. How can you explain yourself? I mean, I was just having the discussion earlier today that, I mean, if we're talking about AI, which is certainly a helpful tool to be even more efficient in your job, and we're talking about large language models, and um, everybody is stopping talking to each other because we're all using WhatsApp, Telegram, and um, messenger services. So, I mean, that serves diminishing your job because... <laughs> Eventually, the AI is taking your data and making the job better than you can. Um, I mean, why are people not getting it to be more creative and use AI where they really could have more time of being creative? But what I see is like people are using even more and more digital gadgets, and yet they are afraid of AI. It's like talking to a smoker, you know, smoking kills you, and they, they, you would lit up a cigarette. I mean, that's a, a little bit weird, I think, no? Yeah, I totally agree. And I also like talking to people. Uh, so, you know, sending text messages is great, but I also like audio messages or a direct live phone call uh, and not just sending text. I like personal and close relationships. But it's true. Um, people seem to accept just sending texts and eventually they're scared of an AI. To me, that also just sounds very strange. I mean, in your book, uh, let's touch a little bit about uh, you, the book you wrote, The Future Circle of Healthcare. And I think that's a topic my wife loves right now. <laughs> you describe a revolutionary vision for healthcare. How could AI and digital innovation realize this vision and where do they face resistance and obstacles? Well, uh, let me be clear. I was one of the four editors of the book, so I have... Uh, three other great co-editors plus uh, various chapter authors who contributed to that book. And I think uh, we present a great vision, so not just the state of the art, but what could be possible in the foreseeable future and beyond. And what I very much am interested in is, for example, uh, personalized drug development, because a lot of uh, pharmaceuticals we use 
are quite generic, made for a lot of different people, but maybe your disease is just a little bit different. And depending on your DNA, maybe the disease will progress slightly differently. And if we can address that with personalized drugs, I think uh, that would be very helpful and we could probably reduce damage and increase uh, the outcome and also reduce uh, maybe the time you need to recover. Is there anybody in the forefront of using this technology? Are there any countries where you say, like, they are going to the right direction? Well, um, there's obviously various research going on in the world on this. But I think sooner or later, China will be probably um, the country most recognized for this. And aside from personalized medicine, let me just tell you one example of China. I did my master's at Imperial College London, and one of my professors, he was originally from China. He worked at Imperial most of his career, and he was a pioneer in robotics and robotic surgery. And at Imperial, he maybe had 10 or 20 people working for him. Now he's been retired and he moved back to China. And I visited his lab last year. And now he not just has 10 to 20 people working for him, but he has 250 people working for him, working on robotic surgery. And you would probably see similar examples around personalized trucks and so forth. And ultimately, this will lead to a major impact on who is uh, most innovative and who is leading in those fields. Talking about China, I mean, and we spoke about that earlier, diversity and inclusion, which is now omnipresent in everything we do, if we watch television or if we uh, use um, technology, is it anything AI is um, interested or like it's looking at? Or do you think like that's again, too fear driven discussion? And AI obviously learns from human data, if, if it's machine learning. Mm. And if we as humans are biased, so the machine learning model will be biased. So we may need to cleanse the data. And there are obviously problems, say, if you look at a lot of literature on skin diseases, these books are written for white skin, and the diseases may be different for darker skin. And that's a huge problem in healthcare. And if you train the AI only on that existing material, obviously the AI will be heavily biased too. So we need to focus on inclusion and diversity. So it's a very important topic, but maybe we should not overdo it as it's currently happening in Germany and some European countries. We still need to focus on quality first, but obviously we should make sure that people are not left out of society because of discrimination. Why do you see, I mean, overlooking the whole world? I mean, obviously China sees it as a huge opportunity of growth. Um, why do you see Europe as such? Do you say like there's like a difference between the south of Europe and the north of Europe? Uh, you were mentioning the UK, that they are a little bit more liberal to technology and possibilities. Um, where is the rising star of AI in Europe? Is there any specific country or is it um, as such weak? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a lot happening in Europe, both in the north and south and west and east. What I see, especially in the eastern part of Europe, uh, there's a lot of digital innovation going on. And the same laws apply there, like GDPR, 
But maybe some of these rules are interpreted in a somewhat more reasonable fashion. While we in Germany, we often aim not just to enforce those common laws, but even more and, you know, be even stricter than the others. And that stifles innovation. But in Eastern Europe, um, a lot of these countries like Estonia, they started from scratch uh, like 32, 33 years ago. And they started directly digital first with a lot of processes. While we in Central Europe, we have these old analog processes and we're trying to digitalize them, which doesn't work out too well. While Estonia and other countries in the Eastern part of Europe, they started from scratch and they started digital first, which definitely gives them an advantage. But here in in Central Europe, also in Germany, we have a lot of great stuff. We have great education and research, but we're struggling with technology transfer and ultimately taking advantage of all these new things. So let's talk about the rising star. I mean, we've been just recently uh, been reading a lot about Aleph Alpha, which is kind of the jet GBD of Germany. It looks seems like whenever we read about a unicorn yet to be proof to get one. But um, is it a bet for the future? Like what, what the Schwarz group is doing right now with Aleph Alpha? Or is it the only one left? Well, first of all, Aleph Alpha is, I think, really cool. I think it's it's a very uh, great company set up by Jonas Antrullis. I also saw him in Davos last week. Uh, compared to OpenAI, they're still relatively small, but it's important that we in Europe invest in these kind of things. And the Schwartz Group, I think, is doing great work in Heilbronn, uh, not just with Aleph Alpha, but with many others. And I think it's just a great initiative what's happening in Heilbronn, and I wish other companies were doing similar things with Aleph Alpha, I think uh, they're doing interesting stuff. If we, however, add extra regulation like the European Artificial Intelligence Act, the AI Act, in short, probably this would affect Aleph Alpha much more than open AI. Because in order to implement all this regulation, you need a lot of budget. And open AI is obviously far bigger than Aleph Alpha. And so if we have all this extra regulation, we could probably weaken European competitors and eventually make the existing big players even bigger. And that's exactly what has happened previously because of GDPR. So what you're literally saying is like, good, we support Aleph Alpha, but if you would foresee in the future, better go to the UK. As a civil servant in Germany, I don't want to give the recommendation to move outside Germany. Obviously, uh, that wouldn't be kind. But I think I would more recommend the European um, lawmakers to not overdo regulation. Maybe to not only think in terms of bans and rules, but also think about how to support things and not just how to restrict things. And I think that's the big problem around the AI Act. It's only rules and bans. It's not a single line on how to foster innovation. Maybe we should foster innovation first and then come up with rules when it's actually necessary and not to come up only with rules first about theoretical risks that are totally unjustified. Living close to Switzerland, just out of my personal um, interest, how do you see the development in Switzerland? Is there a, a different shading to the rest of Europe? So do you see this still an island of the <laughs> happiness? Well, ETH Zurich and EPFL Lausanne, they have this joint AI initiative 
they're working together with various players. Uh, when I was just in Davos, there was the AI house that was organized by Swisscom and others. I think they are doing a lot of great work. But ultimately, Switzerland is also impacted by regulation of the European Union, which will somewhat apply to them. And once they want to sell or offer their products in the European Union, they also need to comply. But what I see in Switzerland also with the government is it's very pro-innovative. Uh, maybe fostering innovation first, rules and concerns second, while we in the European Union do this vice versa. So now I can tell a little secret to our listeners because I know that you're just visiting your grandmother. Uh, and I do have a lot of listeners who have no idea what we've been talking for the last half an hour. How would you explain AI to your grandmother? Well, uh, my grandma has been following AI very closely for the last 13 years since I entered AI. And she knows it's about automated decision-making. She knows she has AI in her smartphone. Uh, what I keep saying to decision-makers or maybe grandmas in one sentence is AI is about automating human decision-making. And I think that somewhat helps them to understand. And I show them practical examples like ChatGPT, uh, spam filters, and many others. And this may help to understand. Having you on my show today, um, how would you see the future of theme park using AI? Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you, actually, if you have thought about concrete AI use cases for your theme park. Um, well, um, hard to know. Um, maybe, you know, sort of customized individual adventures throughout the theme park. But I don't know. Um, maybe you can tell us more about that. Well, I'm a, literally, I'm a greenhorn uh, talking about AI. I would love to brainstorm that with you one day. You're going to visit uh, Europa Park in person. I'm for sure technology open because I think uh, we only can uh, exist in the future and being among the best theme parks in the world if we are open for new technologies. I mean, a lot of people told me back in the days, never use a VR headset on your roller coaster because then people won't come to a theme park because they're going to have a roller coaster at their home one day. Um, but I think that's certainly the wrong way of uh, seeing technology blending in with your analog life. So I think we we yet open. So if there is anybody out there knowing new technology to enhance a theme park with it, uh, write me or be my guest in my podcast. But I know you haven't been here for a long time, so maybe we can discover that together and see where you as an expert could give me an advice of using maybe AI technology. But right now, with technology open, but I think I can't answer the question because uh, maybe I could think of maybe a robot um, being your companion, walking you through Europa Park and telling you what the time for the queue lines are, giving you a reference map of your pictures or messages or your interest you've been having on your phone so to to give you literally a better experience that would be my take uh, for yeah, maybe a yeah. personalized route through the theme park to take advantage the most throughout the day based on your preferences maybe things like that but yeah you mentioned it. i haven't been to your theme park for quite a while unfortunately but uh next time i'm there maybe I'll see some AI opportunities and we can brainstorm together. I would love to. Seven years from now. As always, my last question, what will the world look like in seven years' time with AI as a helpful tool for the healthcare? And how far will the government be open for new ways with AI? 
Well, the challenges for the next seven years, especially in Germany or Central Europe, are enormous. We have an aging population. Uh, we have more and more doctors retiring, but not enough young doctors joining. So there will be probably a huge lack of healthcare if we do it wrong. If we do it right, AI can help us to scale healthcare, to address uh, demographic change, to address the changing society. Uh, the AI will not, you know, do all the work of doctors, but can support doctors. And maybe doctors can focus on the hard cases or communication with patients. I mean, that's a huge opportunity for the next seven years. However, if we you know, just add a lot of over-regulation that is maybe not needed, that will not happen and we will probably end up in crisis. And I don't want that. I think uh, we all don't want that. So I just can please the regulation bodies, at least in Brussels, to listen to that podcast and uh, talk to experts like you to have a deeper insight of the technology and maybe hopefully not over-regulate this new technology. Exactly. Excellent. Thank you so much, Patrick, for being my guest today. It has been most insightful to learn more about the important topic AI and also the opportunity to revolutionize the healthcare system. It was truly great talking to you today. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you all for listening today. Please tune in next time again to uncover more of what the world of tomorrow holds. Michelle Mack presents The World Beyond. Emotion is of tomorrow. A Mac One production.